Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so great to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you joining us in our uh, online campus. Great to have you with us. If you're in a parent viewing room, uh, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, I want to invite you, uh, if you've been coming for the last few weeks, or if this is your first week, or uh, if you've been coming for the last six months, if we haven't had the chance to connect face-to-face, today after our third service at 1230, we're going to be serving lunch, and we'd love for you to join us. And there's no agenda other than just to have some face-to-face time, get to know you a little bit, help you get to know us a little bit better, and uh, connect with you for a little bit over lunch. So if you're uh, new, uh, we call this a welcome party. If you've come in the last few months, if you've come for a year and we haven't had the chance to connect, uh, I would love to invite you to join us for that. You can circle back at 1230 and we're going to have some food and just hang out face-to-face, connect, and I'd love to see you there. Now, we're in week four of a series uh, called Emotional Health, and we wanted to kick off uh, 2023 uh, talking about this idea of what it means to be emotionally healthy, because as we grow spiritually, we also want to grow emotionally. And here's kind of the big premise of this whole series is this, that you cannot be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. So uh, spiritual maturity is all about, contrary to what you might think, it's not about being able to memorize a lot of Bible verses. Uh, It's not about having uh, appropriate theology. Uh, Really, following Jesus is a lot about learning to become like Jesus, to follow in his footsteps, to become like him, and to see others and love others the way that Jesus loved others. And so it's very difficult to become more like Jesus and to grow in your love for other people while at the same time remaining emotionally immature and unable to deal with the emotions in a healthy way. And so we, throughout this series, we've been going back again and again to this single verse that's kind of been this foundational sort of theme verse throughout this series that helps us understand uh, that some of this stuff originates in our hearts. It says like this in Proverbs, that uh, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at this and going, look, the best wisdom for how to live your life is not to just follow your heart. That's kind of the wisdom that uh, culture gives us is, hey, just follow your heart. And the truth is, that's horrible advice. That leads to an emotional roller coaster of a life. Uh, The reality is we guard what goes into our hearts because what goes into our hearts at some point makes its way out into our relationships, and it's our relationships that are impacted the most. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at different emotions and what they mean for us. And, and really, every one of these emotions creates a debt-debtor relationship. It creates a, an inequity in the relationship where we feel like we're not on even footing. And so the very first week, we talked about guilt. Guilt says, I, I owe you. I owe you. Guilt says, I've done something to you, and now I owe you, and I have to make it up to you, and I'm carrying around this this burden, this heavy weight of guilt, and we're not going to be okay until I'm able to somehow pay back what what I've stolen from you, what I've taken from you. And the truth is that oftentimes, even if you want to pay something back, there are some things that just can't be paid back. There's some things that uh, can't be healed from in, in, in the short term, and, and you can't ever get back on equal footing. And so we said, you know, the, the, the way to clear guilt out of your heart is through this act of confession, that we confess to God to receive forgiveness, but then we confess to others, and we try to do our best to make things right, but we confess to others for, for healing and change. Because when I go to that person and confess and try to make things right, even if I can't fully pay back what I feel that I owe them, the reality is it changes my heart and it starts to root guilt out of my heart. And then we said, there's this other emotion called anger. And anger says, you owe me. 
Anger is on the other side of guilt. Anger says there's an inequity in our relationship because of what you did or what you said. You took something from me. You stole from me. And now we're not going to be okay until you pay back whatever it is I feel you have taken from me. And so there's this inequity in the relationship and you owe me. But again, sometimes those are things that can't be paid back. And so the, the practice to rid our hearts of anger is this practice of forgiveness. And forgiveness isn't an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision. It says, I, I look at the things that I feel that you owe me, and I choose to wipe the slate clean. And I don't, I don't find the strength to forgive you because I feel that you deserve it. It's not for the benefit of the forgiven. Uh, the, the act of forgiveness is for the benefit of the forgiver. And I find the strength to forgive someone and to wipe the slate clean of what I feel they owe me when I look at all that God has forgiven me. And when I recognize that God has forgiven me, I'm able to extend that forgiveness to others. And then last week, we looked at this uh, topic of greed. And greed says, I owe me. I owe me. Greed is this thing that is very subtle, that kind of sneaks into our hearts, and, and, and we start to kind of live closed-fisted. And the reason that we do that is because I owe it to myself, because I have to take care of me, and no one else is going to take care of me. And if no one else is, then I owe it to me. I owe it to myself to make sure that I get all I can for me. And the, the practice that rids our heart of greed is this practice of generosity, that we actively and intentionally return back to God first and return back to God a percentage of all that he's entrusted to us. We recognize he's the owner, we're the manager, and we manage it well and we return uh, back to God first and we return back to God a percentage of everything he's entrusted to us. Now, having said all that, that's kind of where we're at. If you're like, man, this is week one for me. Uh, you're coming into the middle of the movie. Now you're caught up. And uh, we are talking today about uh, this other emotion that gets lodged in our hearts. And if I'm being honest with you, it kind of feels childish to even bring this one up. This emotion that we're going to deal with today is this emotion of jealousy. Now, jealousy is when I compare my life to your life, and then I tend to focus on what you have that I don't have. And the reality is that might be skills, uh, that might be talents, that might be opportunities, that might be health or height or athleticism or all these different things that you might have that I don't. And so now I feel less about myself. And that's, that's jealousy. And all of us struggle with this because we live in this era in human history of constant comparison. I mean, think about this. We live in, in this era of human history where it's easier than ever to compare ourselves with other people because we are more aware than we've ever been of what other people are doing, especially in this age of social media. Never before have so many people had so much and yet wanted so much more. And sociologists call this, uh, the, the, this idea, uh, they're saying that social media really builds on this idea that within us. It's one of the biggest driving causes of discontentment and envy and jealousy because here's what's happening is we're constantly seeing other people's highlight reels and we're comparing their filtered lives to our unfiltered lives and their highlight reel to the worst parts of our lives. And then it's just leading to a lot of uh, comparison and envy and jealousy and discontentment. And yet, here's what I can tell you. Social media is actually just fueling something that's already inside of us. I didn't need social media back when I was in college to be jealous of Michael Olson. Michael Olson was a guy that I met in college who, uh, same year as me, we show up to college, and this guy was the absolute best drummer I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe it. Like I, he would lead the band in, in, uh, in worship, and he'd be playing drums and, um, as part of the band, and I just found myself just watching him. I was mesmerized. He was such a good drummer. And I'm like, man, that guy is an amazing drummer. But then I played basketball against him. And then I'm like, he's freaking athletic. 
He could stand under a basketball hoop and just, without any running, uh, you know, ramp up or anything, just jump straight up and dunk a basketball. And he's like, my height. And I'm like, that's not fair. You don't get both of those things. <laughs> but then he switched from drums to guitar and leading. And I've never heard such an incredible singer in my life. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then you meet the guy and he's so funny. I'm like, this is not fair. You don't get all of that, dude. Save some for the rest of us, you know? So I'm like, man, he's Great drummer, great singer, great athlete, great guy. I hate that guy. <laughs> and the truth is, it's not because there's anything wrong with him. It's just easier to dislike him than to look in the mirror and realize where I fall short, that I'm not all those things, you know? And, and we use comparison to make sure that we're okay. It's just human nature, and it shouldn't be like this, but if we're honest with ourselves, we all do this to some extent, we compare ourselves to other people. We look to our left and we look to our right to determine how we are doing. Because again, we all want a little bit more er. Right? I, I want to be richer, prettier. I want to be smarter. I want to be skinnier, happier, hipper. I want to be taller. I want to be talented-er. <laughs> and I, I want more er than you because it makes me feel better about me. If I can just be a little bit more er than you. And I mean, I like you and everything, but I want to be able to walk away from having coffee with you and go, they're good, they're fine, but I'm er. Because <laughs> that makes me feel better about me. And what is it about us as human beings that has this in us? And then there's some of us who aren't happy with er. We want to be est, right? I want to be, I want to be rich est. I want to be talented est. I want to be smart est. I want to be retweeted est. And well, I'm just reaching my full potential. Yeah, maybe. But there might be a little bit of thread of this heart disease making its way into your arteries. It might be a little bit of this thread of this other illness in you. I know it's in me. Where you're measuring yourself against other people to make sure that you're okay. And if you're really, really honest with yourself this morning, uh, you would acknowledge the problem isn't that they have so much. The problem is, I don't really like me. The problem is, I look in the mirror and I'm forced to recognize that I may never be that smart, that gifted, that talented, that skinny, that pretty, that wealthy, that financially secure. My kids may never go to that school. And my problem isn't really with that other person. My problem is actually with me, which is where jealousy comes from. Because I want something that you have, and you want something that they have, and they want something that they have. And if we're being honest, if you dig beneath the surface of jealousy, here's what you realize. Jealousy says, God owes me. See, you think your issue is with that other person because they have so much. And look at what they've been given. And we assume our problem is with the one who has er. But if you'll dig beneath that, what you really will realize is your problem is with God. Because God, whatever he gave to them, could have given to you. He could have given it to you. He could have fixed that for us. Whatever he gave your neighbor, whatever he gave your friend, whatever he gave your coworker, he could have given that to you. Besides, you don't want your neighbor's car. You just want one like it. Like, it's not a big deal to you that God blessed your neighbor with a new car. What's a big deal is that when God was passing out cars, he skipped you. That's the issue, right? There's an inequity in my relationship with someone else. And so God could have fixed that. So my problem isn't really with the person who has er. My problem is actually with my creator. God owes me. 
He could, have, he could have fixed that. God owes me a different kind of body. God owes me a different personality. God owes me a different spouse, different children. God owes me that promotion that I deserve. God owes me that raise that I deserve. God owes me a different amount of wealth, a different amount of financial security. God, God owes me these kinds of things. He owes me these opportunities. How come God gives that to them and not to me? And your real issue is with God because God could have given you that promotion, that God could have given you a different family. God, God could have caused you to be born in a different city. God, God could have given you more opportunities. God could have kept that accident from happening or kept your parents together. Or God could have caused you to be born in a different family. All kinds of things that God could have done for you that he seems to have done for somebody else. But he didn't. And our immediate response is, that's not fair. And, and God never claimed to be fair. Our jealousy is rooted in our belief that things should be fair. And so we're struggling as a couple to have a baby and we've been married for 10 years and we've been trying and we've been struggling and, and then we see some people who just got married in the first try, bam, they have a kid. And we're like, that's not fair. Why would God bless them and not us? Or, you know, I didn't get that promotion. I work harder than that guy. That's not fair. Uh, how can they afford that kind of house? I'm sure we make more than they do. That's not fair. Why is it that I got laid off? I could identify a lot of people who are lazy and still have their jobs. That's not fair. And folks, I'm not saying you can never be disappointed. Okay, it's, it's one thing to be disappointed, but here's what jealousy does. Jealousy focuses my disappointment on the other. It focuses on the other person. And every time that you start down that road of jealousy, you think your problem is with that person. And the truth is, it's actually a heart issue. It's actually something inside of me. When you're jealous, your real issue is with God. You think that God hasn't dealt fairly with you. And every time that you start down that very subtle road of jealousy, the smartest thing that you can realize is, my problem isn't with the other. If I'm being honest, my problem isn't with my neighbor. It's not with my coworker. It's not with my friend. It's not with my spouse. It's not with my brother or my sister. My problem is with God. I actually think God owes me. And I think if I distance myself from you, I'm going to be okay. You think if you distance yourself from that person and put a little space between you and them, you'll be okay. But uh, I never am because jealousy is something that is found in my heart. It's an issue in me. And the truth is when you're jealous, you're not really mad at the person you think you're mad at. Your issue is with God. So why is jealousy so destructive? Well, here, here's a couple of reasons. First of all, jealousy causes me to resent God's goodness in others. When something good happens in somebody else's life, I start to resent them. It starts to, it starts to negatively impact my relationship with people that I love, people that I want to be close to. And when I get to that point in my life that I can't be happy for you, for what's happening in your life, that's a problem. When I can't be excited for your promotion, when I can't be excited for your new baby, when I can't be excited for good things, your success, things that are happening in your life, that's a problem. Something's wrong. And you want to know how you tell if you have jealousy? If you're honest, there's something inside of us that when we're experiencing jealousy and the person that we envy, the person that we're jealous of, experiences a little bit of a setback, and there's something in us, deep inside of us, that we would never say out loud, but you know it's there, that just rejoices just a little bit. Isn't that ugly? Isn't that the grossest part of the human heart? Where it's like, that person is just like, they, they, are, they are so much er than you. And something happens to kind of bring them back just a little bit. And, and you're just like, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. And something inside you is just like. 
That is, what is that? That's so gross. But it's there. If we're honest, it's there. It's part of being human. It's something that's broken inside of us. And, and it's not because you're glad it's happening to them. It's just that it makes you feel a little bit better about you. It makes me feel a little bit better about me. And the truth is, you know, they, something happens to them and you get that little tinge of satisfaction or maybe validation. That's jealousy. That's what that is. And here's the problem with jealousy. You can't fix it by watching somebody experience a setback. That is not a solution. To bring everybody into equal footing is not the solution to jealousy. It's just an issue in your heart. And you might be jealous of someone today, and then 10 years from now, it's going to shift to someone else. You're not jealous of the same kid you were jealous of in fourth grade. You grew. Your jealousy shifted. And then you were jealous of somebody in high school, and then you grew, and your jealousy shifted. And you're carrying that jealousy with you. That's not an issue with the people around you. That's an issue with you. That's an issue with me. And my problem is, God, you, you could have given me what you gave them. How come they get the hypercolor shirt in fourth grade? I don't have a hypercolor shirt. God, how come, how come they experience that? I didn't get to experience that. And that's really an issue between you and God. And you're projecting it onto other people. And I'm projecting it onto other people. And, but I'm shifting it from season of life into season of life. And jealousy is an issue that follows us our entire life because it's a heart issue. And as our life changes, our jealousy just shifts. And as our life improves, we still deal with jealousy. We just keep moving up the er chain. And we're jealous of other people because there's always going to be someone who is smarter, someone with a better job, someone with more money and a skinnier waistline and a fuller head of hair and more talents and on and on and on. Our culture has taught us to measure how far we've gotten in life by comparing ourselves to others. The problem is when the rest of the world becomes your measuring stick, you're never going to have enough. So you're always going to have jealousy, never enough success, never enough stuff, never enough popularity. And so here's our dilemma. I think you're my problem. You're not my problem because you can't solve my problem. If the only solution to my problem with you because you have err is to make you have less err, then that is not a solution. That's really an issue with me. And so James, the brother of Jesus, comes along and he writes to followers of Jesus in the first century about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And, and part of this letter, he starts to describe why jealousy is so destructive. And then in part of this, he also starts to reveal a vulnerability that jealousy has so that we can overcome it. And so here's what James writes in the first century. Incredibly insightful. He says, for whenever there is jealousy... Wherever there is jealousy, wherever there is this, this feeling in me that I'm not happy with me because really I'm looking at you and you have something that I want and God, you could have given that, but you didn't. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, this is just another way to describe this feeling of jealousy, this selfish ambition. You have err. I want err, so I'm going to try to get err. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and the evil of every kind. James says, here's what this leads to. It just leads to disorder. It leads to evil of every kind. It, it leads to that rejoicing inside of your heart when somebody else experiences a setback. That's, a, that's an evil. Gossip, anger, harsh words, lies, bitterness, insecurity, all of them stem from jealousy. James says there's, there's a jealousy, there's a selfish ambition, and it leads us to these things. Jealousy leads to every kind of evil, which is why we need to deal with it. But most of us are not honest enough with ourselves to admit that we struggle with jealousy because it feels like something that six and seven-year-olds deal with on the playground. Like, jealousy? What is that? I don't know. I'm an adult. 
So when we experience these feelings of insecurity, because it feels so childish, what happens is we tend to point fingers elsewhere to direct that spotlight off of our hearts and onto someone else. But as long as I deceive myself into believing that my problem is my rich uncle or my skinny sister-in-law, I'm never going to face the root of the issue. And so James continues. He says this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? He says, you, you, you've got these desires in you. And, and the truth is, that wherever you find this jealousy, you've got a desire for something and somebody else has it. Wherever you find this selfish ambition, you find disorder and evil of every kind. What is it that's causing these quarrels and these fights among you? Isn't it actually something that's going on within you? Don't you have these desires? And James says, our external conflict is a result of internal desires that have bubbled to the surface. I've had these desires churning inside of me, and you bumped into me, and now they've come to the top. Whatever goes into my heart comes out at some point. They've worked their way to the surface. It's a heart issue. And I don't mean to oversimplify this, but here's the reality. If, when you think about it, James would say this, every single relational conflict you have ever had comes down to one dynamic. I want something, and I didn't get it. Think about that. Any relational conflict, any conflict you've ever had with a neighbor, any conflict you've ever had with your spouse, any conflict you've ever had with a coworker, with your kids, it comes down to this one dynamic. This is the, this is the source of every relational conflict that you have ever had. I want something, and I didn't get it. I want something, and I didn't get my way. I have desires that are churning inside of me, and when I don't get my desires fulfilled, my first inclination is to blame you. I, I, I want to try to extract from you what I feel I'm owed. And so, James continues. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You, you sense an inequity in your relationship with someone else, and so you do whatever you can to level up. And you want something, and you didn't get your way, and that is what's causing this conflict, whatever that is. Now, now, when you think about that, think about just your kids arguing at some point in their life, right? It was never about the toy. It was never about the remote control. It was never about the last cupcake. It was about the fact that two people wanted their way, and they both couldn't have their way. That's the conflict. But that's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because my kids have never come up to me when they've been in an argument and said, you know what, Dad, the real issue was I just didn't get my way. We're not that self-aware, right? But that's the issue. Two people both want their way. And the conflict arises because we do whatever we need to do to get our desires met. What is that? Selfish ambition. Jealousy. You have something, I want it. My relational conflict would disappear if I would just own my part of the problem. I actually want something and I didn't get my way. I want something, I didn't get my way. Blame is this admission that I can't be happy without your cooperation. When I blame you, I'm saying, you're responsible for my emotional output. I'm now abdicating responsibility for my own emotions to you. And so the only way for me to experience peace and happiness in my life is if everybody in the world does everything I want them to do when I want them to do it. You'll never be content. And until we can admit our role, the role that our own desires and our jealousy play in relational conflict, what we do is we seek to extract that from other people, to squeeze out of the people around us what only God can provide. And so what do we do? 
Well, James says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. He says, you want to know why you don't have the things that you're trying to pull out of other people what only God can give you? Why don't you take that to God? Instead of burdening the people we love with desires they weren't designed to carry in the first place, James instructs us to bring them to our Heavenly Father. Bring them to God. It's like God saying, your jealousy and your relational conflict could have been avoided if you would have come to me with your desires in the first place. And is your desire really going to be satisfied with a better house or a better car or being taller or, you know, whatever it is, a better job, a better body? Isn't there actually a deeper desire inside of you that can only be fully and finally satisfied by the one who created you? And James is suggesting, hey, it's okay to have a raw and unfiltered conversation with your heavenly father about your frustrations, about your unmet desires. It's okay to go to God and say, God, how come you gave that to them and you didn't give it to me? It's okay to do that. Your, your heavenly father can handle it. And then once you've confessed to God that your problem is that you don't feel that your desires are being met and you don't feel that God has acted with you fairly and you've completely dumped your desires and anxiety on him, you're going to find it a lot easier to deal with the people around you, the people who are er and the people who are est. And you no longer have to compare yourself to those people to meet a need that only God can fulfill. And then James says, there's one caveat to this. When you go to God and ask God, here's what you need to know. He says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So James says, bring it all to God. But just so you know, God doesn't mean God's going to say yes to everything. In fact, there's going to be times where God says no. There's going to be times where God doesn't provide the thing that you say, God, I really need you to give this to me. And here's why. God loves you too much to give you everything you want when you want it. In the same way that parents love their kids too much to give them everything they want when they want it. And God loves the people around you too much to give you everything you want when you want it. But he still wants you to ask. He still wants you to lay those desires before him. He still wants you to come to him because he wants you to recognize that he is the source of all good things. That he's the one that will provide. And jealousy is so subtle and so dangerous because it's very difficult to actively love someone that you feel jealous of, right? Think about that. Jealousy takes control of our attitudes. We start to filter the way that we view people, and it takes control of our attitudes towards people who have done nothing more than pull ahead of us in a race they didn't even know they were in. They're simply doing better in some category of life that we have deemed important. And without any real effort, our jealousy turns to resentment. And as soon as we start to resent that person, now we actively justify why our resentment is valid. And we justify and we justify. And when that happens, we justify our jealousy and we justify our resentment. And it leads to disorder of every kind. And now I can write off entire groups of people because that group of people, here's what they do. And this group of people, here's how they behave. And this group of people, that's how they think. In fact, if you want to know uh, where your jealousy lies in your own heart, ask yourself this question. Which group of people do I tend to resent? It's very possible, if you dig a little deeper, you'll find that your resentment, with all of its justifications, is really just a cover for your jealousy. And the reason that you resent that group of people is because they have something, a, a lifestyle or some material possession or, or some talent that you wish you possessed. 
And your resentment and all the justification for your resentment is just a cover for your jealousy. God, you haven't dealt fairly with me because I want what that person has. I want what that group has. And jealousy just causes us to resent God's goodness in someone else's life. Because they're ahead of us in a race they didn't know they were in. Now, here's the second thing. Not only does it cause us to resent God's goodness in someone else's life, but jealousy, jealousy causes me to dismiss God's goodness in my own life. Not only do I resent what God's doing in someone else's life, but now I, I, I'm overlooking and dismissing all the good that God's done for me. When I'm jealous, I'm, I have this tendency to completely forget about how good God has actually been to me. And when you see God blessing somebody in a certain way and you say to yourself, God, I, w- I wish my life was like that. I wish I were them and not me. I wish I could experience what they're experiencing. You are actually cutting short what God is doing in your own life. Because God says, you have no reason to compare yourself to them and to feel insecure or to feel jealous. I love you. I have chosen you. I've adopted you. The Apostle Paul writes these words to a group of people in the first century, and they apply to us today. He's writing to remind us this. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Before you were even born, God knew you. God saw you. God chose you. God adopted you into his family. When God looks at you, he sees a son. He sees a daughter. But jealousy causes me to view others through a different lens and view myself through a different lens. And so once you pour out your your frustrations to God over and over and over on what you believe he owes you, have that raw, unfiltered conversation with God, now you can start to remember all he's actually done for you. See, our disappointment with not getting what we want or what we believe we deserve pales in significance next to the fact that we've been given what we most needed, a savior. That when Jesus, when we discover all that Jesus did for us on the cross, that God sent his son into the world, that God forgives us, that God chooses us, that God adopts us into his family. And we recognize we got what we needed the most and deserved the least it will melt away jealousy from your heart. So, just like with guilt, just like with anger, just like with greed, there is an exercise that will help you to keep your heart clear of jealousy, to keep keep those arteries from getting clogged with jealousy. And so we have all these practices. We have the practice of confession and the practice of forgiveness and the practice of generosity. And the way to keep your heart clear of jealousy is through celebration. It's through celebration. The way to clean out jealousy is through celebration. We must choose to actively celebrate the people that we tend to envy, to celebrate them. Ridding our hearts of jealousy begins with this recognition. The reason I resent her has nothing to do with her. And the reason I resent him has nothing to do with him. And the reason I resent them has nothing to do with them. It is an issue in me. It is an issue in my heart. And so jealousy is broken when we celebrate actively and intentionally celebrate the people that we're jealous of. And we celebrate them. Well, what does that look like? It means congratulating the guy who got the promotion, the guy who got the raise, the guy who got the the position that you wanted and they got it instead. And instead of sulking away and putting distance between you and him, you congratulate him and you cheer him on. 
It means celebrating the, with the person who got the new house, who got the new car, who got the new baby, you know, the, the person who uh, just got married and you wish that was you. Celebrating with them, genuinely celebrating what God is doing for them. In fact, uh, Paul writes this in Romans, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Now, be happy with those who are happy. That's not always easy. And you maybe don't even feel like doing it, but you do it because it's the right thing to do and it changes your heart. So here's, here's the question that we wrestle with. But isn't that insincere? If, I, if I'm like jealous of that person and then I celebrate them and congratulate them and you know, cheer them on uh, and celebrate what God's doing in their life, but really inside I'm jealous of them, isn't that just insincere? No, it's honest. And here's why. Does your sister look good in that dress? Then tell her. And if she doesn't, you don't have a problem. <laughs> Do you like your brother-in-law's new car? If so, tell him. If not, you're off the hook. It's not insincere, it's honest. Do you think that your partner did a good job in that presentation? Do you wish that it was you that had the opportunity to do that? Tell him he did a good job on the presentation. If he didn't, you're off the hook. If he was good and you can't bring yourself to compliment him, that's a much larger issue. If, if that person has something good happen in their life and you know it's good in their life and you actually can't bring yourself to celebrate that, that's a much bigger issue. It took me a long time to get to the point where I'm not constantly comparing myself to others. And it still comes up. It still finds its way into my heart. I got to constantly and actively celebrate the good that God does in others. As a pastor, it's so difficult for me not to compare this church with other churches and myself to other pastors and, you know, to other dads and to other husbands and uh, to other semi-professional athletes. I mean, it's just, it's so, <laughs> it's such a difficult thing. But here's what, I've, here's what I've just learned. I've learned this over time, and it's taken years and years and years to let this sink in. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer to the bones. And isn't this true? As long as you have jealousy, as long as you have envy, as long as there's comparison, you will never have peace. As long as you're looking to the left and to the right to see if you're okay, you'll never be okay. There will always be someone smarter. There will always be someone richer. There will always be somebody more talented. There's always going to be that. And you know what you'll find? Why not take your cue from the one who made you and loves you and adopted you into his family? Why not start to see yourself the way that God sees you? Instead of comparing yourself to the left and to the right and trying to figure out where you stand, why not take your cue from the one who created you and the one who knows you and the one who loves you and the one who chooses you and the one who adopted you into his family? And when he looks at you, he sees a son and he sees a daughter. And when you learn to see yourself the way that God sees you, jealousy has no place in your heart. And you know what you'll find? You'll find what you've been looking for the entire time. Peace. Peace when you do well and peace when you fail, and peace when you win, and peace when you lose, and peace when you make the team, and peace when you don't make the team, and peace when the scale says way to go, and peace when the scale says too many pieces. <laughs> it doesn't matter, because you'll never find peace outside of God's view of you. That's where peace is found, and jealousy and envy and comparison, cancer to the bones. But 
peace gives you life. And it's found in remembering that you belong to a God who created you, who loves you, and who has invited you to be his child. And here's what I know. Every single one of us want peace. That's what we want. We don't want to live lives of jealousy. We don't want that to find its way into our hearts. So we've got to celebrate what God's doing in other people. So we stop resenting what God's doing and we start to remember what God's done for us. And some of you, maybe you've never heard that message before. Maybe, maybe you're exploring faith for the first time, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, and here's what you need to know. Every single one of us were created by God to exist in loving community with God and with each other. It's why we exist. It's the purpose for which we were created. And yet, from the very first human beings to every one of us, somewhere along the way, every one of us said, God, thanks, but no thanks. I think I got this on my own. And as a result, we fall short of God's way of living. And, and when I say God's way of living, it's not because God's like the boss and he's like, I, man, you better do it my way. It's because like any loving parent, God is so for his kids. And since he created life, he knows the best way to live it. So he's like, hey, if you'll do this, this is actually for your benefit. So if you'll live life this way, you'll experience the best life possible. But even if you don't, I love you anyways, no matter what. And, and yet all of us said, God, that sounds great, but I think I got this. We did it our own way. And here's what it does. Every time we do that, it causes brokenness between us and God and us and each other. And we've experienced that on a personal level. Every one of us has. And we've experienced it on a global level. The world is broken because of sin. And so here's what God did. At the right time in history, God sent Jesus into the world to show us what it looks like to live and to love, to show us what it looks like to, to have that community with God and with one another healed and whole. And then... Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitnesses, he rose from the dead. And that means death is not the end. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. When God sees you, he sees a son and he sees a daughter. And you don't behave your way into that. You don't church attend your way into that. You don't earn your way into that. It's simply an invitation that's extended by the God who created you. If you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you. Just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you and I'm so glad you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then help me to put my trust in you and to follow your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, for every one of us, we struggle so much with this idea of jealousy. It's so counterintuitive. It feels like something we shouldn't struggle with, and yet we're always tempted to compare ourselves to others. And so I pray that you would help us to see ourselves the way that you see us, help us to see others the way that you see them, to recognize we are all a part of your family. And so God, I pray that when we view ourselves and others the way that you see us, that it would melt jealousy out of our hearts and that we could celebrate what you're doing in our lives and the lives of other people. We commit our week to you this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.